We are in 1 Timothy, working through that book, and um, we are in chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. So I invite you to take your Bibles, open to 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 13. If you are using the Bible that looks like this, that was distributed just now, it's on page 992, page 992, and I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. This is what God's word says, 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You can be seated as we pray. Father, we believe that when your word is read, you are speaking. And so we believe you have a word for us this morning. We believe that the sword of your spirit is the word of God. And so we together are asking that you would wield that sword in our hearts and our lives today. We open our hearts to what you have to say to us. Help my words to faithfully reflect what is in this passage. To bring its truths to bear. And may none of my own thoughts or opinions come through. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The qualifications of overseers and deacons. If you've been in this church for very long, you know that we've talked a lot about this. Every year, we give a sermon that roughly covers this topic. And, for those who are members of this church, for the last month, until last Sunday, we were thinking and praying through these very qualifications so that we could commend 
people for these offices within the church. And so you know, because we've talked about it so often, these qualifications as you read through them are, are just basically what all Christians should be. It's not like, well, elders shouldn't be drunkards, but any other Christians, it's fine for them to be drunkards. Violence, Christians, fine to be violent as long as you're not an overseer, right? No. These are, these are basically, by and large, things that all of us should embody. You may have re- recall that I often quote the great Canadian theologian D.A. Carson, who observed the extraordinary thing about this list of qualifications for elders is how ordinary they are. And you also probably recall that we've talked about how it's important for us to allow God to set the qualifications for elders and overseers. That we don't want to kind of hoist our own ideas onto what these people should be and add to the qualifications. That's right and good. Because when God speaks and says, for overseers, for deacons, these are the qualifications, we need to let God direct his church. But, there is a very important and often overlooked aspect of this passage. In fact, I might say after my study that I think it might be the most important and the most overlooked aspect of this passage. I think sometimes we get into the details of the qualifications and we miss the overarching emphasis. Makes me think of um, uh, uh, something my kids are into. They, they come up with these kind of gotcha quizzes. You know, I, I think of the one that says, you know, how many animals did Moses take on the ark? And everyone's like, oh, it's two by two. None. Moses didn't bring any animals on the ark. It was Adam. Well, they, they got, it was Abraham, not Adam. Um, but there's another one they do, and you might be familiar with this one. They come up to you and they say, do you want to take a test to see if you're dumb? Sure. Okay, you've got to answer all these questions correctly. What is three plus three? Six. How many moons does the earth have? One. What's the second letter of the alphabet? B, and on and on they go, right? And then they say, what was the first question I asked you? And you say, three, what's three plus three? And they say, no, wrong. The first question I asked you is, did you want to take a test to see if you were dumb? So you're dumb. <laughs> it's a little bit clever, but I, this passage actually starts in verse 1, and we often just pass right over verse 1. And we get lost in all the sea of questions to see, you know, to see if we're dumb and forget what that first question was. So I want us to, I want us to track the logic of these 13 verses. It begins right out of the gate with, the saying is trustworthy. 
back in those days, they didn't have Sharpies or highlighters, Sharpie highlighters, where, where they could put it in yellow. So that's, that is God's way of saying, this is important, highlighter. In fact, the last time in 1 Timothy that he used that phrase, the saying is trustworthy, do you know what followed from that? Chapter 1, verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I mean, if you're not a follower of Christ, that's the message you need to hear this morning. That's a message all of us need to hear. That is an important, important message. But here, there's a trustworthy statement, and what is it? If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And then we set into the qualifications of overseers, but not before. It says, therefore, therefore, in light of the fact that this, this, this task that, that some might long for is a noble task, in light of that, therefore, the qualifications are. And for overseers, it gives them in verses 1 to 7, or 2 to 7. And then in verse 8, deacons likewise. See that word likewise? Just linking the qualifications for deacons with the qualifications for elders. In a sense, both of them flow out of that first verse then. Therefore, elders should be and deacons likewise should be such men. Or for deacons, men and women. going on here. Basically, it's telling us that because, because the task of being an overseer is such a noble task, the men who hold that office need to be befitting of it. So you see, do you see how verse 1 really is driving this entire passage? Okay, got it. So this is, this is a pretty big deal. These overseers, this pretty noble task. God's making a, a super big deal. This is something, it's good to long for. It is a noble work. It's trustworthy. Put it in the bank. So given that, what should they be? Ordinary Christians. Above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, that one's a little different, right? Not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. That's another one that's kind of unique, right? Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. So he built it up in verse 1. Here are these super creatures. 
What are they supposed to be? Ordinary Christians. Wah, wah. Might feel a little bit like that. You ever heard the phrase, you should under-promise and over-deliver? Kind of feels like got it backwards here. But that's actually the very point. The surprise of this passage is that what God is upholding are men who are just faithful, ordinary Christians who are godly. Now, yes, it did say able to teach because these men, ultimately, the way they lead is pointing others, people to God, so they need to know God's word and be able to teach that. It's a unique gift that overseers need to have. And it talks about not being a recent convert, so you want to see some track record. But other, other than that, it's just ordinary stuff. But not that ordinary today. These kind of ordinary things are not so extraordinary. Or are not so ordinary, making them extraordinary. You think about the task an overseer is called to. He's called to come and be an elder of a church. to give of his time, and he says, I'm willing to do that, often thinking, okay, I, I want to I just be able to shepherd other people, pray for the flock, and then he becomes an elder. And there are complex counseling situations that he has to navigate through and pray through that aren't simple. And he has to look to God's word to try to guide him in these difficult times. Or, as an elder, you get a front row seat to certain Christians behaving in decidedly unchristian sort of ways. It can weigh your heart, it can cause sleepless nights. Or you have to help the church navigate very complex times, wrestling with different principles from God's word that guide us in those complex times. But how do we make this principle and this principle come together in this situation? It's not easy. And then, some in the church start taking aim. The very decisions that you're wrestling and trying to make with, they disagree with. And they sometimes even assume that the disagreement is because of flaws in you. Or they might exaggerate your foibles. Sometimes even take aim at your very character. When God calls a man to be an elder, he's bidding him to come and to die. The devil has you in his crosshairs. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 
1 Corinthians chapter 4. And verses 9 to 12, Paul is giving some biographical information about himself as it relates to a very unhealthy Corinthian church. So I don't want to overgeneralize what's being said here, but I do think these verses pull back the curtain on what church leadership has to deal with. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And in the face of that, what does God want his overseers to be? Again in 1 Timothy 3, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. It's extraordinary. Men who've so been transformed by Jesus and his gospel that in the face of that kind of scrutiny and that kind of difficulty that comes with leadership can be such ordinary Christians that reflect the tenderness and the way of their Savior. Who do we want? As elders, who do we want as deacons? We want some impressive businessman? Do we want some power broker who's able to get things done? Those things can be blessing in certain ways. We want somebody who can Mobilize the church and organize food drives and raise funds. Sometimes elders have some of those gifts and it can be a real blessing. But give me a man who breeds health in relationships. Give me a man who, when reviled, responds with kindness. 
Give me a man who leaves a trail of wholeness in his wake. Give me a man who instead of being puffed up with pride by the position, is humbled by it. Give me a man who's able to diffuse tense situations. Give me a man who's so anchored in the truth that he's not blown off course by the latest fad. That's what we need. It's not me speaking. That's just what the Bible's saying. I focused on overseers, but when you look at the next section on deacons, it says deacons likewise, and then there's so much overlap between what's said about deacons and what's said about elders or overseers. Some of the vocabulary is different, but if you look at the concepts, they're very similar. There are some important differences, right? Apt to teach is only listed with overseers because in giving oversight to the church, that's a, they need to know God's word well in a way that deacons just need to hold to the mystery of the faith. It also doesn't have a requirement for how long they serve or how long they've been a Christian, rather than just that, that they've been tested. So there's some differences, but, but really there's so much overlap here. Because really deacons are carrying a certain nobleness of the task with them as well. In fact, when you go to Acts chapter 6, where deacons are first begun, they're begun because there's division within the church that is exhausting the apostles. They don't know how to deal with it. And so they they commission these deacons. I shouldn't say they don't know how to deal with it. It's it's a complicated thing that takes thinking through. And so they commission these deacons to, to handle this intense racial division within their church. And as a result of the deacons taking their role, the church flourishes and thrives. Deacons, likewise, should be these kind of people. So do you you see then what this passage is doing? It's saying, if you you long, if there's something you really long for, I I long to to be in that kind of deacon or overseer sort of role. He says, that's actually a good thing to long for because that task is noble. But then he says it's a noble task, a noble work, And yet all of what follows after that has very little to say about their task. It has everything to say about who they are. It's as if the task is to be godly in the midst of your role. What the church needs is people who embody the transformed life of Christ in the midst of whatever charge they've been given, which in leadership is often strenuous and difficult. And it's telling us that is a noble thing and therefore is something that we should praise and value. 
Who are our heroes? Who are the ones we're commending and lifting up and saying, I want to be like that? Ordinary, godly men and women who live out the transformed life of the gospel. That's what we're called to praise. So church, what what do we expect of our elders and our deacons? Do we expect them to be finesse negotiators? Great bylaw editors? Slick meeting runners? (laughs) Again, there's elders that have gifts like that and it's a great blessing to the church. But what do we expect of them? Let's expect them to be people who can walk in humble, godly, peace-bringing ways that hold to the truth in the midst of hard circumstances. And when we find such people, let's lift them up. Let's encourage them. Let's be thankful. It is a noble task. What do you want to be? What do you aspire to be? The saying's trustworthy. If anyone longs, aspires to something like this, you're desiring something good. It's not talking about, I want to climb the power ranks and and be the most influential member of the church and that aspiration is really good. No, 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 no. Therefore, an elder must be, or an overseer must be, deacons likewise. It's talking about being that kind of godly person who can bear it out in all sorts of circumstances. It's what we all should long to be. Now, I could just end the sermon right there because really I feel like I've dealt with the whole thrust of the passage. But I think there are uh, a few loose ends that are important to tie up here. I want to just hit five of them. I think it would be helpful in just really understanding this passage. The first loose end, I'm just going to move quickly through these. The first loose end has to do with Uh, Elders and overseers. Elders and overseers. So you'll notice our passage refers to the office of overseer. Later in 1 Timothy 5, it seems like it refers to the same office with the term elder. Then in Titus 1, where there's another list of qualifications for elders, it actually uses both the term overseer and elder in overlapping ways. So through church history, largely elder and overseer have seen, been seen as basically the same office. Some point along the way, people called that pastor as well, but you can use any of those three terms for the same office. So you know, the word overseer in the Greek is episkopos. So if you hear of episcopalians, and even in older English, bishop, that's where those come from, that idea of episkopos, overseer. 
The word for elder is presbyteros, which is where we get the term Presbyterian, right? So just a little bit of trivia there. I guess helpful theological trivia for you there so you understand a little bit more how these word, where these words come from. But elders and overseers, that's, you've heard me use the terms interchangeably. Here in our church, we use the terms pastor and elder for this office. That was the first loose end. Second one, what's their job? What's their job? I've drawn attention to the fact that it doesn't, it says they, they, um, you desire a, a noble, a good task or work, but then it really focuses on their character, right? But there, there is, there are clear hints for both overseers and deacons as to what their task is. So for overseers, they're called overseers, and that's a pretty big hint. They're the people who are supposed to give oversight to the church. They're, they're the, the ones leading God's household, right? And they're doing that, we saw with apt to teach, they're doing that in a way where they're really letting God's word drive that, because we're letting Christ rule his church. These are under shepherds of Christ. And it, it talks about how they need to be able to manage their households well, because if they can't manage their households well, then how can they manage God's church? So there's an aspect of management in this. So maybe I, I was talking before, you know, it doesn't matter if they're this or this or this, they just need to be godly. We can take it with the slightest grain of salt because there needs to be some level of orderliness, sober-mindedness, uh, you know, in the things you need to be able to do to lead a family well, they need to be able to do, right? So that, that helps with the task of overseer, with deacons, the word just means servants, people who serve. And as I mentioned in Acts 6, you see exactly what kind of service they're doing. They're, they're taking on significant and important things, but that allow, the, in that case, the apostles to give themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer, shepherding the flock. So these, these deacons take on administrative load and, and help help the church move forward in a spirit of unity and a good direction in their respective tasks. I heard the analogy once. Uh, the elders of a church are, if you liken, to it a bus, liken it to a bus, they're, they're, they're telling the bus where it needs to go and why it needs to get there, and the deacons are making sure it can get there and does get there safely. It's a bit of an oversimplification, but I think that can be a helpful way to think about these various tasks that God's given. Third loose end is these qualifications are not binary. You either are or you're not. That's what binary. You're either yes or a no, right? They're not binary. If you're talking about somebody who perfectly embodies every single one of these things and never struggled with any of them, only Jesus is qualified. Each one of these things is on a bit of a spectrum. So it's, it's not saying, you know, let's take the qualification, you know, not a lover of money. It's not saying there could never have been in a moment in your life where you did something that was somewhat motivated by getting a little more money, right? Or self-controlled. It doesn't mean if there was ever a moment where you gave into your flesh, then nope. There's a spectrum on these, right? And what we're looking for are people... What we're looking for are people who, like, they inhabit this part of the spectrum. 
and you think about what characterizes their life, they're not characterized by lack of self-control or lack of sober-mindedness. Right? They're characterized by these traits. In a certain way, they're the ones who most embody that in our midst. So it's not binary. Fourth loose end, um, there are two offices. Two offices. That is to say, God in his wisdom, as he has set up his church, has ordained two leadership offices within the church. Overseer or elder pastor. And deacon. Now that's not to say that as we put some trellis around churches and different that are different contexts, different places, there aren't other little uh, support roles that, that spring up. But we have to be careful that we don't try and outthink God and either intentionally or unintentionally create offices, leadership roles within his church that aren't what God has established and also aren't based on the qualifications and the tasks he's given them. So let's keep our offices focused on the two offices. And, and the, fifth, um, the fifth observation or, or loose end I want to tie up is, it relates to uh, verse 11, wives or women. Wives or women. Um, the, the English Standard Version that we have says their wives likewise must be. Um, if you have, say, the New American Standard Bible, the 2020 edition, or the uh, newer NIV, both of them will say women. And if you look at the footnote in the ESV, it says it could be translated women as well. And that's because the, the Greek word, there's just one Greek word for women or wives. And you only know what it means based on the context. So on the one hand, this, this word could, be, could mean wives, in which case deacons are to be men. And these men, one of the qualifications for these men is that their wives meet certain qualifications. The other way to understand this is that it's the word woman. It should be translated women. In which case, women and men can be deacons. And if it is a woman, there are these qualifications we have to take into particular account in verse 11. Now, I think that the most, most natural reading of this is women, and that's the position our church takes as well. So I just want to give three reasons for that, and I'm going to kind of give them in order of, I think, most significant to least significant in terms of, of, of weight. And uh, the, first is, the first reason is it's interesting that there's no qualification for overseers' wives. I mean, if it, if it is wives, you would think that the office of overseer the one who's giving the leadership to the church, that's especially important that their wives meet certain qualifications. So why would you have qualifications for deacons' wives but not elders' wives? I think it's more natural to understand it. It's because for that headship role of overseer, that is a male role, but when we come out of that headship role to the other various responsibilities within the church, men and women are are both being called to serve in those roles. So that's the first reason, just comparing the two qualifications lists. The second reason um, that I think it's important, uh, or that I lean this way, is just 
the context itself. So um, generally, you, you translate wives when it's in close uh, association with the word husbands, which it does later talk about husbands of one wife, but, but the, 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 what's being compared is deacons, not husbands. So because of that, I think it's deacons and women, not deacons and wives. In fact, the word there, their wives, isn't even there in the Greek. So it just say deacons must be, wives must be. It, 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 I just think it makes better sense contextually to go with women. And the third reason is in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, Phoebe is commended as a deacon. Now, there's a possibility it's not talking about the office there, that it's just talking about you know, general people being you know, a good servant of the church or something like that. But the fact that that word that here is used as an office is, is used in connection with a woman, I think, lends um, support to the idea of this being better translated as women. So that's why uh, in our church we have male and female deacons. So that ties up those loose ends. I want to close by um, telling you something that's... I actually want to close in a, in a, in a unique way. I want to close this sermon in a way I've never closed a sermon before, actually. Because as I was studying this passage that, as I've mentioned, I've studied dozens of times, taught on dozens of times, I was hit this week. I'd missed what I just talked about. The logic of the passage that starts with verse 1 and works its way down. I failed the test. I was dumb. And it hit me. Just this passage is upholding the beauty of godly people. Just being godly in hard circumstances. I, I don't know how many sermons I've preached in my life. It's certainly over 400. And I've never been compelled to write poetry as a result of my sermon preparation. But actually, this week I was. And, and not as a joke. Like, I really was thinking, how... How do I capture what's in my heart? <laughs> what a beautiful thing this is. And the only way I could think that could, could adequately do it was to labor over a poem. And so I wrote a poem. I don't pretend to be an expert poet, but I do want to read it to you as a close to our sermon. I call it such men. Our age does find these types of men too few, who when attacked, instead of venge, forbear, who when the gale breeds strife, shalom repair, who do not love themselves, but die for you. A man whose strength protects like garden walls the tender growth of plants within his charge, and thus his character through them writ large. His grace and rule, the way of Christ recalls. 
Your weary, wounded eyes can stop their search. Such men strut not in public street or hall. They won't be found exalted, caped, or starred. You'll find their tears and blood within God's church. The scriptures dub them elders, and they call for all to hold this post in high regard. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we started just by thinking of 1 Timothy 1.15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And it's this gospel, what Christ has done, that transforms us so we can be these kinds of people. There's no, no work we can do. So we praise you for what Jesus has done. In our lives, in the lives of people we see leading the church with humility, Christ-likeness reflecting what he's like. We don't praise a man, we praise Jesus. He's the foundation of this church. And we also thank you for your gift of these, these men and women, deacons, elders, who serve our church so faithfully and have through a hard season. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.